section fifteen of a bunch of keys where they were found and what they might have unlocked a christmas book edited by tom hood this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by kate fallis three keys on a small ring of their own by c w scott chapter two the key of the storeroom the next few weeks passed away wearily enough it is useless to describe the sorrow into which the whole family was plunged mabel at first was hysterical with grief and almost refused comfort from her sister she used to lie awake for hours at night weeping as if her poor little heart would break and persisting that her father could not be dead and that she must see him again or she would herself die edith behaved like the grand heroine that she was she knew that everything now devolved upon her and her alone and so she battled with her scalding tears there is no grief so bitter as that which is not allowed to exhaust itself by weeping but still without a murmur edith everest whose young heart bled bore up against the awful blow which fate had levelled at her and at them all there was just one bright spark of hope which shone for her in all the bitterness of her despair now if ever was needed the comfort of that love which so enthralled her now was the time to test the affection which she felt she had secured and which she valued oh how deeply but weeks passed away and yet lord roseworth never came the news of mr everest's failure and sudden death spread like wildfire every one had something or other to say about them and various were the rumours and absurd the gossip to which they both gave rise friends at least those who chose to style themselves so kindly bestowed a word of pity on the pretty penniless orphans as they were called but the whole affair was involved in too much mystery to allow them to alternate condescension with civility after the funeral edith and mabel came up to london until mr everest's affairs were finally settled and the house in hyde park gardens sold arthur oldham was more than a brother to the poor girls in the terrible time that ensued but lord roseworth studiously avoided the house in which he knew as well as possible edith everest was residing eventually it was settled that mabel should go to a boarding-school at brighton and that edith should accompany her aunt rachel to moat grange in gloucestershire whither that worthy lady was now compelled to retire since there were now no loaves and fishes to live on elsewhere she made a great parade about the disinterestedness of her conduct in taking compassion on the child of the man who had never shown her anything but true kindness and continually expressed her hopes that her extraordinary civility would be appreciated aunt rachel was quite unaware of the point to which matters had come between edith and lord roseworth or perhaps she would have looked at her niece's indifference to all her proposals in a different light edith herself soon began to have misgivings but she had too noble a heart to think him false 
he might have heard nothing after all it was possible he might have gone abroad and was still perhaps anxiously expecting mr everest's answer careful all the time not to push the matter further himself according to edith's express wish still edith kept her secret and the day for their departure for moat grange was absolutely fixed the day before they started two letters were put into edith's hand as she was packing away all her little treasures before commencing her new life the thought of which made her absolutely shudder mabel had gone away to school and all her happiness seemed gradually to be fading away she brightened up at the sight of the letters the handwriting on both of which she knew perfectly she thought she would keep the best till the last she sighed just a little as she opened the first letter which was from her cousin arthur oldham for she felt somehow that she knew its contents beforehand it ran as follows my very dearest edith i feel that i am a dreadful coward and am perfectly aware that i run the risk of incurring your displeasure by reverting to a subject which has ever been uppermost in my mind although you may this time have entirely forgotten it after what passed one dreary sunday evening in the woods at riverside i have no right to pester you with renewals of that love which you must know i have felt for you all through my life still you are going away not indeed to a home in which you are likely to have much comfort for i feel that you too dread the future which is opening for you you told me once you were engaged from that hour i ceased to dream that you could ever be more to me than you are at present to cease to love you was of course impossible from that hour to this i have refrained from asking any questions whatever and should have felt that it was clearly my duty under the circumstances to refrain from seeing you as much as possible in your great sorrow i saw that there was no one at hand to render you the assistance that at such a terrible time of course you needed i came edith for the sake of your dear father who is gone and still i loved you in all the fullness of my heart but that is all over now and still you are going away once more i tell you i have asked no questions once more i repeat it is impossible for you to stay this of course must be my last appeal it would be an impertinence to pester you any further you know your own heart best and i know it well enough to feel that with you it would be simply impossible to pretend to love and now edith dearest i have done your decision cannot fail to be honest if it is fatal to me why then i must fight with my grief as you have done and content myself with watching as tenderly as i can over the interests of one whom i am doomed to love to the end yours ever a o poor dear boy she murmured when she had read his letter poor dear boy and she then turned to the other letter and eagerly breaking the seal read my dear miss everest i am afraid you will have thought me terribly wanting in politeness in not having come near you all this long time but the fact is my people persuaded me after all that has passed to keep away at least till this terrible business had blown over believe me i have felt for you in all your troubles and can but trust that by this time most of them have passed away 
i am very sorry to say that i am off for a long tour on the continent and i do not see any chance of catching a glimpse of you before i depart who knows when and under what circumstances we may meet again perhaps fate may be propitious and all will yet be well i trust it may meanwhile i can but say au revoir good-bye is a dreary word yours very affectionately r before she had got to the end of this heartless letter the colour mounted to edith's cheeks directly she finished it she threw it on the table in disgust and this is the man i have loved she said to herself in one moment the fire which had burned so fiercely in the young girl's heart and which had been part of her very existence all through her trouble died suddenly out and then she began to despise herself for her credulity why did he write it all she said crumpling the letter in her hand i might have comforted myself with the hope that some mistake existed but now i know too well the worthlessness of the man and am forced into the degradation of acknowledging that i can smart under his cowardly insults edith's first impulse was to tear this letter into a thousand atoms but she reflected and thrusting them both into her bosom covered her face with her hands and sobbed bitterly in this position she remained for hours tormenting herself with reflecting on all the happiness of the life which was now quite gone and pondering over the dreariness of the existence which was just about to commence before she went to bed that night she made a silent vow and she prayed long and earnestly that she might have the strength to keep it aunt rachel had a double object in offering a home to edith everest on the death of her father in the first place she liked to flatter herself into the belief that the world would think well of her for so doing and that she would gain a reputation for being a good kind charitable woman and then again she was perfectly aware of her niece's great attractions and reflected that her beauty might in one way or other do credit to the family of which as may be guessed aunt rachel was uncommonly proud besides edith according to her aunt's mode of reckoning would not altogether taking the bad with the good be a worthless investment since she inherited through her mother a decent little income which would be quite sufficient to prevent any vast amount of difference in the cost of the establishment at moat grange in this last matter however aunt rachel reckoned without her host mr everest's affairs at the time of his death were of course in very great confusion and edith knew enough about business to guess that many people would be great losers by the failure accordingly she gave directions to her father's solicitor to appropriate her little share of her mother's fortune for the benefit of her father's creditors this only came to aunt rachel's ears some little time after they were settled at the lonely house in gloucestershire and by no means tended to soften matters between herself and her niece whom she discovered in a very short time to be a girl of determined spirit and not at all inclined to submit quietly to any offensive treatment 
the fact was that aunt rachel did not understand edith's peculiar character in the least and never was she more mistaken than when she tried to subdue the girl's proud spirit edith was never violent and had the great gift of controlling her temper under any amount of provocation she was not long however before she showed her aunt who was likely to be victorious in the end if she commenced a series of pitched battles it happened as follows during her father's lifetime edith had of course been stinted in nothing she had been accustomed to employ the best tradesmen who naturally were in the habit of charging the best possible prices for their goods this was of very little consequence to mr everest who had the credit of being a wealthy man and it was always his particular whim to see his handsome daughter well dressed with regard to her millinery he used even to encourage a little extravagance it was impossible for edith to foresee at the time of her father's death the extent of the confusion in which his affairs were thrown young girls don't know very much about money matters it was necessary of course for her to procure mourning before she accompanied her aunt to moat grange so not thinking at the time of her altered position she procured all that was necessary of the same tradespeople that she had been in the habit of employing before she left london as has been mentioned before she gave full directions for the appropriation of all her little private store of money for the liquidation of her father's debts she entirely forgot all about her own the bills arrived in due course and poor edith at the time was totally unable to pay them they travelled after her to moat grange and eventually got into the hands of aunt rachel edith happened one morning to come into the little sanctum in which her aunt after breakfast used to have a long confabulation with her housekeeper very soon after the unhappy bills had been sent to moat grange aunt rachel as may readily be guessed was not in an enviable frame of mind she got up hurriedly from her seat directly edith entered and thrusting all the documents into her niece's hand said in a sharp tone what on earth is the meaning of all this edith edith was quite taken aback by her aunt's disagreeable manner and before taking the papers looked her full in the face as if astonished surely you understand me my dear just explain i don't really see what i've got to explain said edith the bills speak for themselves they are for my mourning which you know i was obliged to get obliged to get yes of course it was necessary i don't doubt that in the least but surely there was no reason for you to be so ridiculously extravagant edith winced but held her tongue aunt rachel snatched the bills out of her niece's hands and turning to the housekeeper was proceeding to make comments on several of what she called preposterous charges and actually asked her if she did not agree with her that miss everest was not in a position to deck herself out in absurd finery edith blushed scarlet but she checked the burst of indignation which started to her tongue and saying aunt rachel i have no right to dictate to you the manner in which a lady is usually treated but i will not be insulted before your servants quietly left the room and this is the treatment i am to expect and this is the house in which i am to pass my life 
thought she as she went upstairs to her own room and then she thought of lord roseworth and what might have been and bit her lips to prevent the bitter exclamation which was rising to them when she got to her own room in which she had a favourite seat at the window commanding a lovely view at which she was never tired of gazing she passed by a large glass and happening to catch a glance of her own face stopped suddenly before the mirror great big tears were rolling down her cheeks and she dashed them impatiently away only twenty-three she said to herself and there is not a day which does not bring with it these miserable tears will there never be an end and then she threw open the window and allowed the soft wind to play upon her burning face she thought of the riverside days and of her poor dead father and how he would grieve to see her now and grieve more than ever to hear the secrets of her poor troubled heart and then she breathed a prayer that poor innocent mabel might be spared such suffering and might be ignorant for ever of such real misery as she had endured during the last few months again her thoughts sped on and lighted on the one she now loved next best in the world her cousin arthur oldham he too had suffered and had borne his sorrow nobly and she blessed him for it and then all these miserably pleasant thoughts died quite away and once more arose before her eyes the vision of the man she had loved so fondly but who like a miserable coward had utterly crushed her tender loving heart this was the bitterest thought of all and again the cruel tears came welling to her eyes and she sobbed as if her heart would break that same evening aunt rachel had invited some of the people in the neighbourhood to dinner the rector of the parish was to come and the eligible curate a comfortable-looking solicitor from the neighbouring town was also to be of the party and of course the family doctor who told such capital stories and was invariably asked everywhere their wives naturally came with them good sort of people in their way but uncommonly fond of small talk which to tell the truth was in the habit of drifting towards the end of the evening into foolish gossip or affectionate slander edith everest had not as yet been trotted out for the inspection of these worthies a real live lady was rather a rarity in those parts and aunt rachel flattered herself that the brilliancy of the niece would indirectly shed just a ray of lustre on the aunt the guests had all arrived and were on the tiptoe of expectation to see miss everest of whom they had heard so much but she was late in coming down the ladies of the party began to be rather nervous and fidgety about their toilet they feared they would be eclipsed for to tell the truth aunt rachel had been unwise enough to let fall some commonplace remark about great london ladies requiring an extra amount of time in preparing for dinner how foolish of her not to have thought for one moment about the scene in the storeroom at last the door opened but there was no rustling of silk aunt rachel could hardly believe her eyes the solicitor's wife looked at the rector's better half and smiled triumphantly 
edith appeared in a plain black merino dress which was simply relieved by a pair of white linen cuffs and a tiny white collar fastened with a small jet brooch a plain jet cross suspended from her neck by a narrow piece of black velvet was the only ornament to be seen aunt rachel rose from her seat very agitated and after she had introduced her niece to her guests whispered hurriedly in her ear my dear edith what can you be thinking of did you not know that i had asked some people to dinner this is hardly the way to appear is it i am sure your friends will excuse me dear aunt replied edith in quite loud enough a tone to be heard at any rate you should explain to them my dependent position and assure them that it is not now possible for me to deck myself out in absurd finery aunt rachel dared not say another word and so edith gained her point if edith everest fell in the estimation of the ladies of the party owing to the simplicity of her attire she certainly made up for the loss of their friendship by gaining the good opinion of every gentleman present she was unusually brilliant that evening and long before the gentlemen left the dinner-table it was unanimously agreed by them that edith was certainly one of the sweetest women they had ever met the solicitor who was especially taken with the young lady's winning and agreeable manner happened to remark in the course of the evening that he was going to london the next day and asked edith if she had any commissions for him as he would willingly execute them here was another trump card for edith it was a bold game but she thought she might safely risk it thank you i am sure i am excessively obliged said edith if it really is no trouble to you i will get you to transact a little business which is rather important i don't mind confessing i could hardly undertake it myself not indeed that i should be afraid to do so but simply through the fear of being cheated the fact is that i want to get rid of a diamond parure which my poor dear father gave me but which alas is of no use to me now there are some bills which i shall also have to ask you to pay for me there is nothing in the world i hate so much as being in debt the good solicitor who knew aunt rachel well immediately put two and two together the rest of the party also guessed the meaning of the sale of the diamond necklace aunt rachel felt that every one was thinking of her and she turned away to conceal her shame and so edith everest fairly won the second trick it was some time after this that aunt rachel's housekeeper who was exceedingly fond of edith and used to confide in her all her little troubles came one morning in great distress about a letter she had received in which she was told that her poor old mother was dangerously ill and was begged to lose no time in coming to london aunt rachel had been consulted in the matter and had actually stated that it was perfectly impossible for her to go the fact was that aunt rachel could hardly have existed without this housekeeper she was a very old servant and knew better than any one else the ways and eccentricities of her mistress what then was to be done would miss edith intercede for her she must see her poor old mother before she died she said or she would never forgive herself edith promised she would do her best 
at first aunt rachel insisted that not another word should be said on the matter she paid the housekeeper her wages and she would be served besides there was no one at hand who could be trusted with the keys of office it was not fair of edith to ask her aunt to try new hands or to encourage a system of petty robbery well there is only one way i suppose in which it can be settled replied edith do you think you can trust me if you will only give me a trial i will work hard to prevent you noticing any change and promise to try and save you any annoyance i cannot help thinking that in such a case the poor woman ought to go to her home as you are so determined about it my dear i suppose she must go said aunt rachel but it will be very inconvenient to me all the same pay her her wages and let her go perhaps she will not be wanted again a bright thought came into aunt rachel's head as she said this edith certainly did her very best to please her aunt she was determined to show that she was not ungrateful for all that had been done for her and anxious to prove that fine ladies are not above working hard when the occasion presents itself she used to get up early in the morning and puzzle her poor head with dreary figures determined that in her accounts a most important matter in this instance she would not be found fault with all went well for several months in fact so well that aunt rachel studying strict economy as usual sent a private dismissal to the housekeeper that required wages and determined that the unpaid attendant should always be retained on the establishment some little time after the dismissal of the housekeeper the second scene between aunt rachel and her niece took place they were again in the storeroom one morning, looking over the accounts together. Aunt Rachel was in an unusually bad temper. All the various items in the book were carefully scrutinized, and at last one was singled out as being an instance of horrible extravagance. "'I really cannot endure this any longer,' said the old lady. "'I shall be ruined if you go on in this reckless manner.' my dear aunt replied edith if you will only refer back you will see that your expenditure is not a bit more now than it was in the days of mrs preble i don't want to refer back and i won't refer back all i know is that a great deal too much money is spent you have had an excellent education and you ought to make use of it now in order to save my purse but i forgot you are not the first of your family who has thought fit to play ducks and drakes with other people's money at this cruel insult which clearly alluded to the failure of edith's father edith turned pale and trembled violently her voice was thick and husky as she said how much then do you consider i owe you owe me indeed it is all very well to talk of owing but perhaps you will be so good as to tell me how you intend to pay me with my wages your wages edith looked her aunt full in the face and replied very quietly i mean exactly what i said i have heard accidentally that you thought fit to dismiss mrs preble finding no doubt that my services were equally useful and far less expensive on this point however we must come to some understanding and at once 
i have been insulted twice and have borne it i will not submit a third time to a similar degradation i have quite made up my mind what to do i will either remain here receiving the same salary that you formerly gave mrs preble or will seek occupation elsewhere mind in that case i cannot undertake to spare any one's feelings if i choose to hire myself out as a nursery governess to those who know us both equally well and would i am sure give me a trial for old time's sake or if my inclination leads me to set up a shop in the neighbouring town you will only have yourself to blame in the latter case i can assure you i shall not conceal my name my sister will never be ashamed of me and hers is the only love left me now i shall be excessively obliged if you will decide this matter before the end of the week so saying she took the key of the store-room out of her pocket and having placed it on the table by the side of her aunt quietly left the room before the end of the week came edith received back the key accompanied by a polite note begging forgiveness and agreeing to her stipulation thus edith gained a triumphant victory but for the first time reflected that all hope of leaving moat grange was now cut off for ever it was joyful news for edith when her aunt told her one morning that she had made arrangements for mabel to spend her holidays at moat grange here then was sunlight at last in another week she was to arrive and was to be accompanied by arthur oldham who had been specially invited to come and pass a week or so with his cousins aunt rachel did not of course know what had occurred between arthur and edith arthur and mabel were always the warmest of friends and their friendship had been stronger than ever of late for arthur used to run down to brighton and beg a holiday for mabel and then they would wander away and have a good talk on a subject which was equally dear to them both mabel soon found out the true state of the case and resolved that she would take the earliest opportunity of pleading poor arthur's cause with her wilful sister the poor child's simplicity was charming edith thought the week would never end but the happy day arrived at last and the two sisters very soon found themselves alone in their snug bedroom at last when mabel's tongue was nearly tired of talking and after edith had said several times that it was quite time to go to bed the little girl put her arms lovingly round her sister's neck and told her that she had something of very very great importance to tell her and then she told edith all about arthur's love for her and praised him and called him a darling fellow and related all the conversations they had had together often and often about edith and how they were never tired of thinking of her shut up in the miserable old house from this she went on and built castles in the air and explained how they could all live together and shake off all misery and be happy once more and never separate again for ever edith trembled as she listened to the little girl's passionate energy for once she forgot all about lord roseworth and thought only of her sister's comfort and arthur's unselfish love 
she had almost made up her mind and as she thought of the bright picture mabel had painted she drew her closer to her heart and covered her face with kisses but mabel's nerves were all unstrung and she burst into a flood of tears edith hastily drew her handkerchief from her pocket to wipe them away a crumpled letter and a key fell at her feet in one instant the bright dream vanished both the letter and the key told its own story and so arthur's cause was pleaded in vain end of section fifteen